As I was growing up, one of my favorite subjects was always history. It was like the one subject that I really looked forward to studying in school. And I've always loved the idea of the fact that we have the ability to kind of turn around and to wade through the story of our world. I've always loved that idea of being able to walk through these moments in time and to feel the real emotions of real people who experienced real things. As much as I've always loved history, I've not always loved history class. And that's really because of one thing, the history book, right? You have this romanticized idea of history that you're going to go to history class and you're going to wade through these periods of time. You're going to get to see these real people experience these real emotions. And you walk in and your teacher says, okay, class, today we're going to open up to chapter 23. We're going to start talking about the Great Depression. So everybody opens up their book to page 656 and we're all met with the same page, the title page. There's a picture on the front and the big title But there's that one little box off to the side that's set off with a line around it called key terms. And this was always the thing that I hated about history, is that we're going to learn about the Great Depression. And the first thing I'm thinking about are people like my grandmother who were alive during that time. Who She lived and grew up in rural Mississippi and sharecropped her way through the Great Depression. And I'm thinking about all these real people and these emotions And instead, we're supposed to define the words Alfred E. Smith, bull market, margin call, Black Tuesday, and the Holly Smoot tariff, right? And we're all supposed to take our history book, we're supposed to go to the glossary and define all these terms, and somehow this is going to teach us about these very personal moments in history. Because what I always loved about history was the ability to put myself in a moment and to look around And to imagine what people must have felt like. To imagine why people had certain opinions. Or to think about why they acted a certain way. And when I think about history, the the one question that always comes up in my mind is, who would I be? That when I think about a particular moment in history, I always think about that. Who would I be in this moment? How would I feel? What would I have said? And who would I be? When I think about history, there's always been one moment that if I could go back to any moment in the history of time, it would be this moment. And that moment is May 25th, 1977. And some of you are like, I was alive during that moment. And it may comfort you to know that I really wish I could trade ages with you. Like, I wish more than anything that I could go back to the night of May 25th, 1977. What happened on that night was the movie Star Wars opened in theaters. And for as long as I can remember, I've always loved Star Wars. And I've always loved the movies, but it's always bothered me that I wasn't there at the beginning. And if I could go back to any moment, it would be the night of May 25th, 1977, when people walked up to normal theaters all across America, and they slipped money under a little glass window, and they got their tickets, and they walked up to the front, and they were torn in two, they got their popcorn and a Coke, and they sat down in a movie theater having no idea what they were about to experience. And from what I've gathered on that night, something happened in movie theaters across America that nobody expected. They saw special effects with a reality in front of them like they'd never seen before. 
And I've always wished I could go back to that moment and I could sit in a theater and I could experience Star Wars for the very first time, having no idea what I was about to experience. That these people sat in their chairs and they literally had their imaginations stretched wide open in front of them as they saw things that they previously thought to be impossible. And I think back on that moment and that question rolls into my mind. Who would I be? Because I, I love to think that I would be the guy who got my tickets and I ran in and I got popcorn and a Coke and I sat down on the third row and I'm on the edge of my seat just watching this reality play out in front of me. And I'm not so sure it's not completely real. Like some people actually took a journey to a galaxy far, far away and this is their documentary footage. Like it's so real and I'm watching this battle of good and evil and I'm loving every second of it. And as much as I love to think I would be that guy... I have to think that with the millions of people who saw Star Wars on that night, there had to be some people that were sitting on the back rows with their arms crossed, thinking to themselves, I'm watching a movie about a British robot, a large talking dog, and a woman with cinnamon rolls on the side of her head. Like, this is ridiculous. And I put myself in that moment and I asked myself the question, who would I be? And it terrifies me to think that I don't really know sometimes. And that question kind of haunts me. As we've walked through this series, Come and See, we've walked through these moments in our spiritual history. And as we've been talking through these moments, the question that's rolling around in my head is, who would I be? Whether it's Jesus talking to the disciples saying, come and see what I'm about to do. Whether it's the woman at the well who goes to her entire town and says, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. I I think he might be the Christ. Or whether it's Mary and Martha grabbing Jesus and saying, come and see our grief. I wonder, who would I be? This morning we're going to look at a story that takes place in Mark chapter 15. And I want us to try this out. This morning, we're going to look at this moment in history, but I don't want this to be a moment where we're all just looking at the title page, trying to define our keywords, where we're just listening to the story, waiting until somebody says, come and see, but that this might be a moment where we would step into a point in time and experience a moment in history where there were real people who actually experienced this, who had real thoughts and real feelings. And then we might ask the question, who would I be? This is Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. And when the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion... And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
and they crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Do you ever stop and ask yourself the question, Why you're here? Like, I mean, I mean, really ask yourself the question, why am I here in this place right now? Why do I come to church and claim to believe all of these things? I mean, have you ever wondered why we place so much significance on this moment? I mean, why do we believe so much is so important about this seemingly meaningless criminal who was killed by an ancient government? Because you look at this moment and it doesn't seem like people really care that much. Or you may be here this morning and, and you really don't care. And you're sitting there wondering why all the rest of these people keep doing all of these things. And why all the rest of these people believe so much in a moment where this seemingly insignificant criminal dies. And you read this story and it's confusing. Because if you've been around Christianity for long, you know that this is a very important moment. But the people that are experiencing it, the people that are watching it happen, they don't seem to care. And when I read this story and that question rolls into my mind and I think, well, who would I be? The harshest characters, the most stark characters that kind of rise up to me are these guys in verse 31. The chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And when I step into this moment and I start to ask myself the question, who would I be? I look straight at these guys and I go, well, at least I know I wouldn't be them. I'm not totally sure exactly who I would be, but I know I wouldn't be these guys. Because I believe in Jesus and I believe there's something very significant happening in this moment. And these guys don't seem to get it, they don't seem to understand, and they're mocking Jesus saying, why don't you get off the cross, why don't you stop dying and get over here and do something useful? 
They say, there's all these people watching, why don't you come off the cross and all these people might believe. And I look at this moment and I say, at least I'm not those guys. When I stop and I think about my life, I'm not so sure. Because what happens in my life are there are these problems or these issues that rise up in my life. Or something big happens and things fall apart. Something that I'm hoping will happen doesn't happen. Or the one thing that I'm hoping never happens actually does. And these big problems and these big issues rise up in my life. And what I do is I run right past the cross of Jesus. And I stand in these problems and I look back at Christ and I say, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing over there on the cross, but I really wish that you would come down off of there and get over here and start solving these problems. But I get really uncomfortable when I watch Jesus in this moment, in this moment of weakness where he's coughing and he's sputtering and he's dying. And I say, Jesus, if you would stop dying and get off the cross and come over here and start to pick up some of these pieces, there's people watching and they, they might believe that I want Jesus off the cross and I want him over here repairing things. I say, Jesus, my marriage is falling apart, and I know you're a pretty big fan of marriage, and so I need you to come over here, and I need you to fix this. Or my family seems to be falling apart, and Jesus, I need you to come over here, and I need you to fix his attitude or fix her attitude. Start picking up these pieces for me and start putting these things back together. Or I say, Jesus, I am sick, and this is the last thing I need in this moment. I can't handle it anymore. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. These things are falling apart. And Jesus, I need you to get off the cross and to come over here and get to work. And I become the very same guys that are standing, watching this most significant moment in history, completely missing what's happening. That these guys are standing before Jesus who is sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. And they don't see it. They don't get it. They do not understand that God himself is sacrificing himself. Because they needed it. And I do the same thing. We run past the cross and stand in our problems and say, Jesus, quit doing that and come over here. And we don't understand what's happening in this moment. That Jesus is solving our greatest problem. That he is meeting our greatest need. A need that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation when God creates our first family And he creates them in perfect relationship with each other and perfect relationship with himself. But there comes a moment where these first humans look at God and they say, God, we kind of know what you're calling us to do. We kind of know who you're calling us to be, but we don't think you really understand what we need. I don't think you really see everything that we're seeing and I don't think you really understand what we want. And so even though you're calling us down this road, we're going to go another way. And humanity takes its first steps down a road that it never stops walking. And the soul of man turns itself from adoring its heavenly father to adoring itself. And that this problem has been compounding itself through the generations. From their offspring to their offspring. All the way through the generations down to my grandparents who were born 
with a soul that was turned in on themselves, down to my parents who were born with a soul that was turned in on themselves, to me when I was born with a soul that was turned in on myself. And we live a life of selfishness, this selfish ambition in our heart that says, God, I know what you're calling me to do, but I don't think you see everything I need, and so I'm going to go this other way. And every day we take a turn and we take steps down the path of sinful disobedience. And even though I wasn't there in the beginning, this problem affects me. And even though I wasn't there and I didn't have a say in the matter, my heart is sinfully disobedient to God. But what we have to understand is that there's actually something real happening there, that there's a real God that we are disobeying. And we don't get to just do that. But that as we sin, we mount up for ourselves a debt that we must pay. And it grows larger and larger with every disobedience. And the only way to pay off this debt is with a very real death. And that's the condition of the human life. But we know that there was one, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, but he was fully man, who came and he lived a perfect life. He lived the life that none of us can, that none of us ever have, and that none of us ever will, and he lived perfectly. And he reached a point in his sinless life where Jesus looked at our needs, and he took a step down a road that he didn't deserve to walk. And we see this moment in Mark chapter 15 where God himself, Jesus Christ, lays himself down on a cross. And what he's doing in this moment is he's taking your debt and your debt and my death and he's taking the sins and the sinful disobedience and the selfishness of the world and he's putting it on himself and he's saying, even though I don't deserve it, I will die their death for them. That this is the sacrifice that's happening in this moment. This is what these people are watching in this very real moment. They are seeing God himself take on their sins and die. That he actually dies. Jesus takes on all that sinful disobedience. And he experiences a pain like no other. Because he's fully God, but he is fully man. And this moment is not like Jesus is taking some kind of spiritual Advil and pretending that it's painful, but he's fully man, and he's experiencing every moment of pain. And he gets to a moment where the spiritual pain is so much that he cries out to God, why are you forsaking me? That this is a very real and tangible moment where Jesus is sacrificing himself because we needed it and to think that there are these people standing there watching this happen asking for something different to think that so many times in our life we sit and we watch this happen and we want something different and you read this story and it feels like there are no people 
who understand. There's no one watching this happen who gets what's happening. But you keep reading and we're introduced to another character in verse 39 of Mark chapter 15. And he's simply called the centurion. And with those two words, we are kind of tipped off to the fact that this man is really an agent of the enemy. That to be a centurion means that he was in charge of soldiers in the Roman army. So he's pretty high up in this government that is crucifying Jesus. But that this guy probably was in charge of everything that's happening there. That he was probably there when they gathered the whole battalion in the governor's palace. He was there when they were spitting on Jesus and mocking him and beating him. When they stripped him, when they put a crown of thorns on his head, that this man was there pushing Jesus towards a place that is named after dead bones. And this guy is watching the entire thing happen. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. That of all the people in this moment, it's this guy who understands that something major is going on. He's the only one who gets the fact that Jesus is someone special. And he's the guy who's watched this happen, who's probably figured out by this point that this guy really hasn't done anything wrong, yet he's watching him walk through punishment after punishment after punishment. And he has to be wondering, why is this guy doing this? And in this last final moment, as he watches Jesus breathe his last, it falls into place. And he says, truly, this man was the son of God. That he understands the magnitude of the sacrifice that is happening in this moment. And what we have to understand is that if we are going to experience God, If we're going to be the kind of people who gather here and say that we believe all these things, we have to be this guy. We have to be the guy who stands in front of the cross, watches Jesus die, and is filled with awe of the sacrifice that is happening. We have to realize the magnitude of the sacrifice that's happening in this moment. We have to realize that in this moment we see the very distinct difference between these two books. That the scripture is not a collection of pages that outline for us some historical moments. That give us some words to define and some things to understand. But it is the story of a God who stepped into a world of real people who needed something from him. And he laid down everything so that they might have it. That this is the moment where relationship begins. Us kneeling at the cross, shoulder to shoulder with the centurion, watching Jesus die. Because it's in this moment that we understand something very real. Years after this moment, there was a guy named John who had spent a lot of time with Jesus. He walked around with him, he lived with him, he saw him do ministry and miracles. He was probably there when he died and he saw Jesus raise from the dead. And this guy, John, spent his life writing letters to churches filled with people who believed that all these things happened. And one of his letters 
we kind of call it First John. He drops this simple phrase in chapter 3. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That what John would do is take the shoulders of every Christian and turn them to the cross and say, watch this. That what John is saying in 1 John 3, 16 is that At the cross, at this moment in Mark 15 where people are watching Jesus die, that they are seeing something very real happen in front of them. They're literally watching love. This ideal characteristic of God, they're seeing it played out in front of them. It's like the night of May 25th, 1977, where people are seeing something in front of them that they previously thought impossible. They're watching special effects with a reality that they've never seen before. And in this moment in Mark 15, people are watching love. They're seeing love. They're understanding the truth that God actually loves us. And that it's so pure, and it's so strong, and it's so real that he would lay down his life for us. And so often, I run right past that moment, and I stand in my problem, and I say, Jesus, stop dying Get off the cross and come over here and start picking up these pieces for me. And I fail to stand and to stop and to watch Jesus die. What we have to understand is this. That when we watch Jesus die, our problems lose a little life. As we watch Jesus die, our problems lose a little life. That as we stand in this moment and we see God himself sacrificing himself for the sins that we have committed, The things that we're worried about, the things that we're afraid of, the things that we're scared of seem to get a little bit smaller. They get a little bit more minimized. They get a little shorter under the weight of the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's the incredible thing. That these problems that we have, the marriages that we're struggling with or the diseases that we have or the people that we don't know how to get along with or the dreams that we have that haven't happened... These things, like God does these things. He steps into our life and he raises dead people to life. He sustains us. He brings us back together with people that we love. He restores relationships. He gives us things we want sometimes. But these things, these healings, these gifts of grace are not the basis of our faith. The basis of our faith is a moment where Jesus sacrificed himself 
for the sinful hearts of man. And if we understand that when we watch Jesus die, our problems lose a little life, that will be our first response when things fall apart. Our first response will not be, Jesus, come fix this. It will not be, Jesus, come pick this up. It will not be, Jesus, come change them. It will be us walking to the cross, kneeling next to a centurion, and watching Jesus die. It's by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Father God, Lord, overwhelm us with the reality of your sacrifice. Stop our feet in their tracks of walking past your cross and refusing to watch you die. God, stop us in that moment. Hold us there and cause us to see love, to watch love, and to realize that this is the beginning of relationship with the God of the universe. God, fill us with awe. Fill us with wonder. Bend our knees next to a centurion who might watch and say simply, this is the Son of God. Most of all, we are thankful for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.